We're in a series called Run to Win. Run to Win because the scriptures tell us that this life that we live is a race. It's a race. And this is a race that's worth winning. When I ran this trail series yesterday, it, it, and I knew that, you know, I'm in, the, I, I'm in the 60 and up category. After 60, they don't, you know, if all the other categories are like 40 to 49, 30 to 39, 50 to 59, and so forth. When it gets to 60, it's, it's just 60 and up. <laughs> so I reached that category. Where we're all just kind of lumped together. And uh, so I'm not, uh, I wasn't interested in winning that race because I knew it was going to be rough, and it was rough. Especially going up some hills. I mean, and I, we, I got to the top and I looked down. And I said, well, it looks nice down there. And I thought, now I'm going to go down. I didn't realize that on the way down, we go down, then go back up again. And so I did some walking. Uh, that wasn't a race that I was interested in winning. But the race of life is one that we need to win. It's worth winning. Uh, and so as you started this year, you might have been thinking, well, this year is going to be different. Last year was so, so bad, so challenging, 2020, only to realize that as we started this year, it, it got off to a rough start because, as I've said to you, the challenging times of 2020 didn't just magically go away at the stroke of midnight on January 1st, 2021. So this year started off rough, but... The truth is that this year can be different. It is possible for us to get to the end of 2021 and, and feel like, I won this year. I won. I won in the areas that I needed to win, especially in the one area that best defines a win. What is that one area that best defines a win? The one area that best defines a win is the spiritual area and specifically, when we make God the center, truly the center of our lives, then we're going to win. That's one area. And the way we've been saying this throughout this series that we started on the first Sunday of January, we've been saying it this way. Running to win means you're running to Him. Running to win means you're running to Him. If you're going to win, you have to be running toward God. You have to place Him at the center of everything that you do in life, your home life, your job, your school life, if you're in school, your, your social life, everything is centered around God. You're winning if God is at the center of your life. And maybe nobody understood this better than the Apostle Paul. This has been our passage that we've been basing this series on in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. It reads like this, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets a prize. So run to win. The Apostle Paul says, run to win. Verse 25 reads like this, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And so we all know what we have to train our bodies to do uh, if we want to win, right? We have to train our bodies if we want to lose weight. We have to train the way we eat and what we put in our bodies and how we exercise if we want to build up some muscle. The same is true of our spiritual lives. We have to train ourselves to do what we know we should do spiritually. 
Paul said, train yourself. Paul said this to Timothy, train yourself to be godly. So how do we train ourselves to be godly? How do we train ourselves to run to win? Well, two weeks ago, we talked about training ourselves through prayer. Last week, we talked about training ourselves through the power of God's word. And, and, uh, and last week's message, when I spoke about that, I, I spoke about the importance of pairing prayer and Bible reading as a part of our training program, as it were, our spiritual training program, using those two together, prayer and Bible uh, study, Bible reading. And I want to continue that today because I believe this is a critical part that many Christians miss and that causes them not to gain traction spiritually. Every year they might say, this year I'm going to get closer to God, but then they don't. And so today I, I want to continue talking about this. And, and today's message is feeding yourself uh, with God's word. Because until you learn to feed yourself from God's word, you're never going to train yourself to win. You can't grow to spiritual maturity without the Bible and you can't run to win without God's word. Like Jesus said this in Matthew 4, 4, he, he said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we live on the words that come from God, not just the bread alone, not just the, the, the physical food that we put in our bodies, but the spiritual food is what we need to live on, on every word, Jesus said, that comes from the mouth of God. And the, the truth is that most believers, I've, I've uh, found out, don't really know how to do that. They don't know how to feed themselves from God's word. A lot of Christians have to depend on the pastor's sermons, right? Or on their pastor's teaching. And, and I mean, I, I think what I do is important and, and what other pastors do is essential. The teaching, I take Bible teaching very seriously. I, I spend a lot of time preparing Wednesday nights. I spend time preparing because I think it's, it's essential. I think it's important. I'm trying to get individuals, us as individuals and as a church to grow spiritually. But uh, some people just depend on the pastor and his sermons and his teachings. Or they depend on, on devotionals that they buy and read, and that's fine as a start. Uh, but that's what they're depending on, or they depend on teachings on the Internet and so on, because they really don't know how to feed themselves. I mean, either they don't know, or maybe they're, they're lazy. They don't want to feed themselves. But folks, I'm telling you, this is so important. If we're going to win at life, it is very important. One of the marks of physical maturity is that you learn how to feed yourself, right? I mean, uh, uh, our children, we, we want them to eventually learn how to, how to feed themselves and they make a mess, but it's part of them learning how to feed themselves. They don't know how to cook for themselves yet. That comes later. But uh, the mark of physical maturity is you stop being fed by other people and you start to learn to feed yourself. Well, this is true in spiritual growth as well. You've got to feed yourself from God's Word. Now, this is what... Hebrews 5.12. Follow along, please. In Hebrews 5.12. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. And I feel like saying, ouch. You know, we, I think this may apply to many of us. We, we should be teaching already, and yet we need somebody to feed us. 
We're like babies is what he's saying who need milk and cannot eat solid food. So this is why I want to talk to you how how you can feed yourself from God's word. How you can feed yourself with God's word. And so I want to talk uh, about uh, what is called the devotional method of Bible study. There are different ways to study the Bible. And I, in fact, last week I mentioned if you like to study, get yourself a study Bible with all the notes, commentary. Those are good because those study Bibles at the beginning will have like an overview and a summary background of each book, who wrote it, why it was written. Context is so important. So important. Sometimes we misapply verses in the Bible because we don't really take the time to learn the context, why this was written. And so study Bibles, commentaries, those are good. But what if you don't want to, you don't want to spend money in a commentary or you can't? You can still learn using this devotional method of Bible study. One of the simplest methods because you don't have to have any extra helps other than the scriptures. This is a method of Bible study you can use when all you have is a Bible. You don't have to have a Bible dictionary or a Bible encyclopedia, study Bible concordance. And I've got all those and now I have them digital. My very first set of commentaries was, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. My very first Bible, my mom saved money. She gave me the money and I bought it with the money she gave me. Then my sister Velma, many years later, as a teenager, bought me my first study Bible, a Schofield study Bible. And when I was in college and I met a girl that I fell in love with, her name was Lillian, still is Lillian. And uh, she bought me, after several years of knowing each other, she bought me a set of Matthew Henry commentaries. I still have that set. Uh, but now everything is digital. Now I have hundreds and hundreds of books and commentaries and concordances and dictionaries and uh, all kinds of things uh, on an app and, and online. And I can sometimes if I'm stuck somewhere, I can do Bible study on my phone because I got that app and I can look up verses. I can look up background. I can look up Greek. I don't speak Greek, so I've got to look up what it means or Hebrew. Uh, but if you don't have any of that, then you can still uh, use this method of Bible study. This is one that you can do when you're sitting out in your backyard. You're out on a retreat. You can do it if you're fishing out on a boat and you, you, know, you have some quiet time. Uh, if you know how to do this and you, if you have a Bible and something to write on, you can do this devotional method anywhere. So there are four uh, I'm sorry, there are three steps to this devotional method of Bible study. Three steps. Uh, I said four because I was going to give you, and I could give you ten, but I'm trying to just keep it as simple as possible um, for you to remember. So there are three steps to the devotional method of Bible study. Step number one is supplication. Everybody say supplication. Supplication, yeah. Some of you sound like, oh, what was that? Supplication. Okay, supplication is a form of praying, right? It's a form of praying where we ask God to grant us something. Supplication. Now, I could have used, I could have just said prayer, but uh, I want these words to kind of go together and rhyme because maybe that'll help you remember this if you're not writing, that, writing this down, which I, I would love for you to write these down. If you're following on version. you can add your own notes and you can save. There's a save button on version. You can save this outline and you'll have it there. Uh, forever, as long as you have it saved. So supplication or prayer. And last week I emphasized why it was important that we should combine prayer and Bible reading or prayer and Bible study. 
And, and I, let me just review that because I think it's very important why we should not pray without also reading the Bible. Why we should not pray without also reading the Bible. Reading the Bible is an important part of praying. I'm reviewing from last week. It's an important part of praying because reading God's Word primes our hearts for prayer. It prepares our hearts for a maximum effectiveness uh, of prayer. Uh, reading God's Word allows me to orient my mind toward God in a way that allows me to reach God and to touch God through my words and allows God to touch my spirit when I pray. But also, I said to you last week that reading the Bible... Um, allows us to have the right context for praying. Uh, without combining Bible reading with our prayer time, then our prayers are limited to our own thoughts. And so they're shallow because I know myself that it, when I'm limited to my own thoughts versus having God thoughts within me, then my prayers are going to be shallow and limited. If I'm not reading the Bible regularly, I'm not hearing from God. And if I'm not hearing from God, listen to this, if I'm not hearing from God, then I'm only talking to myself when I pray. And left to ourselves, we tend to create a God of our liking and our, our understanding. So we need to combine reading the Bible and prayer. Now, uh, today I want to tell you, not only should we not pray without also reading the Bible, but we shouldn't read the Bible without also praying. Both are true. We shouldn't pray without reading the Bible, and we shouldn't read the Bible without praying. Now, please, I don't think that uh, I'm, I'm trying to be legalistic here. If, if you're caught in a schedule that you can only read the Bible, don't have an extended time of prayer, that's fine. Okay, don't think you're doing something wrong, or vice versa. But as a general rule of thumb, those two go hand in hand. The, because the Bible is the only book that we can read, that we can actually talk to the author of that book while we're studying it. While we're studying it. Many years ago, I was preparing my uh, choir when I was at Lakeview to go to UIL contest, and I picked out this piece. It was a new piece, and it was, it was really hard. We were struggling with it. And so, and then I noticed that there seemed to be a typo in the, in the uh, score. In the choral score and the and the piano score, and I thought that can't be right. I, and so we went ahead and we were working on it. And I kept thinking it can't be right. So I've I've I knew the uh, the the composer's name was there, of course, and I think the back page had some information about him. He he's a, a music uh, professor in uh, Florida. So I looked him up. I found his school. I found his uh, phone number, and um, actually no, I uh, I emailed him. And I said, hey, I told him how it was. We're, we're singing your song. And um, this, this particular song, this page, this measure, is this note correct? And uh, after a couple of days, he says, no. He says, that's a big whopping mistake. I can't believe you know, we hadn't caught that. He said, no, it's supposed to be this note. And he says, I'll make sure it gets fixed for the next printing. Well, I feel pretty good because I talked to the guy who wrote the song and I got, to, got him to fix his mistake. Now, God doesn't have any mistakes in the Bible, but we get to talk to him. He's the one who wrote the, the book. So it makes sense that we should pray and ask God for insight. This is the supplication. Lord, give me insight as I prepare to read and study your word. Say to God, Lord, I, I want to be open. I want to be teachable. I don't just want to read this with my biases. I don't want to just read this with my prejudice. I want to study your word, and I want you to teach you to teach me 
from your word. Look at Psalm 118, Psalm 119, verse 18. The psalmist writes, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. What's the law? That's God's word. Now, that's, that's a great verse to pray before your Bible study time, right? Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Why don't you pray that tomorrow when you sit down with your Bible or tonight, whenever you do that? But we've got to have study time. And it's got to start with prayer like this one. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And you don't have to study the Bible every day. You know, reading the Bible should be a daily thing. But studying the Bible, even if you just do it once a week, I mean, that's, that is significant when you know you're going to have time to write some things out to pray. And so maybe there's a day and there's a time in that day that gives you some extended time that you can be undistracted and focus on the Word of God. Read the Bible daily, read it regularly, but once a week, more or less, find a time that you're going to study the Bible and begin by praying and asking God to open your eyes that you may see the wonderful things in His Word. So step one is supplication. Step two is meditation. Everybody say meditation. That's better. Meditation. Okay. Look at Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. How many of you know that sounds good? That sounds like you're running to win when you're prosperous and successful. But it starts with keeping this book of the law, God's word, always on your lips. We'll talk some more about that in a minute. Always on your lips. And he expands on it. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do. Right? So he's talking about application too. We'll get to that in a minute. But what does it mean to meditate? The word meditate gets a, a bad rap. A lot of people don't know what it means. It, a lot of people think it means you, you kind of clear your mind, and, and some type of meditation that is taught, that's what they teach you to do. Clear your mind. Focus on, on nothing. Well, the reality, that's not meditation. Meditation is exactly the opposite. Meditation means this, to reflect deeply, to engage your mind. All right? So that's not clearing your mind and think of nothing. That's the opposite. You're, you're reflecting deeply. You're thinking deeply. You're engaging your mind, not like clearing your mind. Right? So you've heard me say this, that if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate because worry is simply negative meditation. When you worry, you take a negative thought. How many of you know how to worry? Right? You, know how you, could you could teach this one. You take a negative thought and you go over that negative thought over and over and over in your mind, you can't sleep. You're not hungry. You're down. You're depressed because you're meditating on this negative thought. And the more you worry, the bigger this negative thought gets. Now, in, in meditation, you do the same thing, but you do it in a positive way with Scripture. You go over a passage of Scripture in your mind. But unlike worry, meditating on Scripture produces positive results. It doesn't produce the despair, the hopelessness, the sleeplessness, the depression. 
It produces positive things. Now, if you were to look, look up the word meditation in a dictionary and look up a synonym of meditation, which I did last night on my favorite dictionary and, and thesaurus site. It's called the word hippo. I don't know why it's called the word hippo, but I like using that. And I found out that uh, a synonym of the word meditation is rumination. Rumination. Now, what's rumination? Well, rumination is what a cow does when it chews its cud. Now, I'm, I didn't grow up, you know, in a ranch or a farm. Some of you maybe did, and, and you, you know this already. I, I was very surprised when I uh, went out to teach at Grape Creek for one year because uh, coming from San Angelo, went out to Grape Creek, and, and the students there were, were great kids. I loved that one year I was there, but uh, they were talking about, uh, this one girl was talking about, yeah, I had to pull a calf yesterday. And I was like, what is that? So she explained to me what it means to pull a calf. You know, the, the cow is giving birth, and sometimes you got to reach in there and pull the calf. I said, oh, okay. And they, you know, they really educated me in a lot. I didn't know a lot, and so I didn't grow up you know, in the, uh, uh, on a farm or a ranch. But I do know this, that what a cow does, this is the rumination, what a cow does is it, it goes up, it you know, goes out, and it chews the grass, and it swallows the grass. And the grass will sit there in the cow's stomach for a while, and those gastric juices just digesting for, for a while. And then the cow will kind of burp up you know, the grass again, and he starts chewing it again, a little bit more. Now with some renewed flavor, right? I would think so. Some renewed flavor. And so it chews it and it swallows it again. Now what is a cow doing? It's digesting every ounce of nourishment, every ounce of nutrition out of that grass that it possibly can. So rumination, what a cow does is the same thing as meditation, what we do with a thought or a passage of Scripture when we meditate. Because listen to this, meditation is simply thought digestion. Thought digestion, not indigestion, but thought digestion. We're digesting the thoughts of God's Word. We're digesting Scripture. A lot of times all we do is read it, but we don't digest it. Our kids in school are taught not just reading but they're taught reading comprehension, right? Reading is not enough. And so for us, spiritually, we want to read, but we want to understand, we want to digest uh, what we're reading. And so it doesn't mean putting your mind in neutral and not thinking at all, but it means thinking seriously, contemplating, reflecting. Look at this next verse and see what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.7. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. That's meditation, that's study, that's growing, that's training to win. Right there. We reflect on what God is saying, and then God, as we reflect, will give us insight into what we're reading. And so, uh, let me just say this quickly. I, I mentioned when we read Joshua 1.8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Then he writes about meditating, talks about meditating. Because one of the ways we can meditate on Scripture is by actually speaking it. When you're studying it, take some time to just speak it, to, to let those words come out of your mouth, be pronounced by your lips, by saying a Bible verse aloud over and over. In fact, what a lot of people don't realize, and I myself didn't learn until just recently, within the past couple of years, is that part of the meaning of the word meditate in the Bible 
The biblical definition of meditate includes that. Here in, here's, here's a biblical uh, me, uh, definition of, of meditate includes this. To coo, to growl or mutter, to read in an undertone, to speak, proclaim to oneself. All that is part of meditation. This is, this is why uh, Joshua 1.8 says, Never let the book of the law uh, depart from your lips. May it always be uh, on your lips. And so the reflecting part, the, the, the praying, the reflecting, the digesting, but also the speaking, that's part of helping us to meditate. And then finally, step three, we've got supplication, we've got meditation. Step three is application. Application. Joshua 1.8 said, so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in the book of the law, so you may be prosperous and successful. But application is the most difficult part of Bible study, I've discovered. Personal application. Because Satan doesn't care if you read the Bible. He doesn't even care if you study the Bible as long as you don't apply the Bible to your life. But Jesus said this to his disciples in John 13, 17. He said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you what? If you do them, you will be blessed if you do them. So you got to know these. You got to have the insight, these teachings, and then you got to do them if you want to be blessed. He didn't say you'll be blessed if you know them. He said you'll be blessed if you do them. This is why James writes, be doers of the word, not only hearers of it. So application, application is when we take God's word, when we take the truth of God's word and we apply it to our lives in a way that is personal, that is practical, that is possible, and that is provable. When you're doing a Bible study, first you pray, then you, you meditate, you think about it seriously, then you write down an application. And this application should have these four characteristics. Here they are again. It, the application must be personal. It must be practical. It must be possible. And it must be provable. So let me just go through those very quickly. First, an application needs to be personal. That means it involves me. I can't write out an application for my wife. Right? I can't, tell, I can't tell her, look, I was reading the Bible and I think God wants you to do this. Lillian should you know, do this for her husband or whatever. No, I can't do that for my wife. I can't say, uh, these are what my kids need to do. I can do it as a parent, but when, when it comes from personal Bible study, I can't say everybody else needs to do this or somebody else needs to do this. I can only write about myself. I can only change my life through the power of God's word. So it needs to be personal. Like if you're gonna, and I encourage you to write this down. Writing down is so, so important. And, and when you write it down, it should start with the word I. I need to or I will. I'm going to. Have you ever taken any kind of goal setting seminar or class? That's what they teach you to do, right? It's off in the Bible. It's just personal application. That's all it is. Not we are going to, but I'm going to. It's personal. Secondly, it needs to be practical. It needs to be something that you can actually do. So don't, you know, you can, you can write something in a passive sense, right? For example, 
This is passive. My room needs to be cleaned. That's true, but it's passive. This is active. I need to clean my room. Right? Sometimes we, we think of things in a, in a passive sense because we don't want to insert ourselves and give ourselves a project, but it needs to be something that, that's practical need to do. So what have you learned in your time of study and meditation? Write it down and let it be something that is practical that you can do, not just feel. And you can feel something and not do it. So it's got to be something that's practical, so something that you're going to do. Thirdly, we said it's got to be personal, it's got to be practical, it's got to be possible. If you, if you write or you come up with an application that you can't do, then you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get discouraged. For instance, if you say, if you read the verse, pray without ceasing, and, and, and uh, you meditate on that, and you say, okay, my application is I'm going to pray for every missionary every day. Well, that's going to be tough. That's noble, but that's not really... That's not really practical. I choose a missionary a day. That's practical. So uh, don't, don't make it so impractical that you get discouraged and you just give up on the whole thing. So it's got to be practical. Fourth, it needs to be provable. What does that mean? That means how are you going to show that you actually are doing what God called you to do? So every application needs a date or a deadline. Again, we go back to goal setting. If you've ever gone through goal setting uh, class or lesson or seminar, it, it all comes from the scriptures. So how are you going to show, how can you prove? If you say, uh, my application is I need to feel uh, more compassion. Well, that's, you can't really prove that unless you say, I need to show compassion by giving food to this group of people by this time, you know. So it's got to be provable. It's got to be personal. Uh, it's got to be practical, uh, possible. I think I said it a while ago, practical twice. It's got to be uh, personal, uh, practical, possible, and provable. Now, let me finish with this. Satan is going to fight that area harder than anything else. He's going to say, don't write, don't write it. Don't write anything down. Just read the Bible. Just study it. Write some notes every once in a while. But don't, don't go through this whole, you know, pastor's just a little over the top here. And he can do it because he's a pastor. He doesn't do anything else. So he has time. He gets paid to do that. No, don't let Satan discourage you from doing that. The change in your life happens when you make something personal, practical, possible, and provable. provable. When you... When you are sincere and, and honest and determined and committed to study God's Word. Supplication, meditation, application. And look, if you're running to run a race or to compete in any other area, there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. You can't be lazy. You need to have a plan and you need to work the plan. If you're training to be godly, there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to win spiritually. Here's my last story. When I was in the seventh grade, I was running track, and uh, I had uh, had a good track season. I was on a, uh, on a relay team that we set some school records, got our picture in the paper, and uh, 
I didn't set any records. I ran the hundred yard dash, but I, you know, I, I did pretty good. I earned some ribbons. I was, I always placed, almost always placed. And at, toward the end of the year, my track season was cut short. Didn't actually finish the last one or two uh, track meets because uh, at one track meet, which ended up being my last track meet, I had already run some other races, and uh, so our coach, I was hanging out with a friend of mine, and uh, he was a very popular guy, very good athlete, great football player, and a very fast runner as well. And so he was, um, I was following him around. He was very popular, but he wasn't a very good influence on me. And uh, so I'm at the track beat. I'm following him around like a little lost puppy dog. He's like, come on, let's do this. I go, come on, let's go over here. So then our coach said, okay, you guys, it's time to start warming up for the 4 by 100 relay. And I ran the, the third race, the third uh, leg in that race. And so we ran, we knew what we had to do. We ran a, a couple of hundreds on the grass in the field. And then we, had to, we were going to do some other stuff. And he said, no, no, come over here. There's some girls. I remember this. There's some girls over here. So he went and I followed him. And he's talking to the girls and I'm just standing there. Then he said, okay, let's do this. So we didn't finish warming up. I just ran those two, just jogged those two hundreds, and then it's time. So we we got on, you know, our positions, and uh, uh, you know, I, I got in my place. I marked the the steps. I had to mark and uh, step back and mark the spot where I had to start running uh, whenever the the second leg guy came. And so everything was running fine. I'm looking back this way. He hits the marker. I take off, running as fast as I can. We had a good handoff. I'm running to the last guy. Big, tall guy, uh, his name is William Rowland, uh, and he was very fast. He was very fast. Um, and so he's, he's looking back at me like this. He's waiting all the way down. I, I can't get that far anymore. So he's waiting. He's doing this. And then suddenly, suddenly he does this. He stands up, and he turns around, and he looks at me, and he's looking at me like this. And the reason is that uh, right before I got to him, I pulled the muscle really bad. I mean, I just, I'm running and then I just pulled up. Oh, it was, a, it was a, a really painful thing. And when he saw that, he's like, and I kind of ran into him and said, take it. You know, I was able to finish that because it was maybe 15, 20 yards. Uh, again, we did yards, not, not meters back then. And it was so painful. And my coach knew I hadn't warmed up properly. And I was, I was actually on crutches for a couple of days and had to, you know, go and get, you know, the ice bath and stuff and uh, it was very painful but I tried to take a shortcut because I was following my friend there are no shortcuts when you're running to win and and you may want to take a shortcut and say well I you know I'll I'll grow this way but I don't really need to develop this skill or this ability of studying the Bible I don't really need to pray uh, I, I, you know I'll be okay God will bless you. yeah he will but folks there are no shortcuts, and you sabotage yourself unless you train yourself to be godly. Let's train ourselves to be godly because God wants us to win. We're running the race. We may as well win it. And God has given us the tools to do that. I'm going to invite you to bow for prayers. We enter a time of, of seeking God, of calling on God today, and asking for His help in this. Father, we come before you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for this opportunity to read your word and to study and to learn from your word. 
This race that we're running, Lord, it, sometimes it's a sprint. We're out of breath. And then other times it's a marathon. And it just seems like it'll never end. Sometimes we fall behind. And sometimes we feel great. We feel like we've gotten our second win spiritually. But ultimately, we know that you want us to win. And you want us to train to win. The things that we've learned these past few weeks, Lord, help us to understand the gravity of doing them well. Help us to understand that there are no shortcuts. And we only hurt ourselves, we only injure ourselves when we try to take shortcuts. It'll mean getting up earlier. It might mean getting to bed earlier, earlier so we can get up earlier. It might mean turning the TV or off the computer sooner. But we want to learn to love your word. Your word is powerful, dear God. It changes our lives. There is power to change lives in your word, in the gospel of which Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Help us to love your word. Help us to commit ourselves to it. Lord, today I commit to being faithful in praying and in reading and in studying your word. I commit to doing this just in, in a practical way, in a possible way, a way that's going to be so far out of what I can do that I get discouraged. I commit to that. In Jesus' name.